Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Guy Watch Podcast. It's Phil Goth here again, and I'm so excited to bring you a show today. This is from a gentleman who has quite a life-changing experience from where he grew up to where he is now, and just the walk in his faith. His name is Jesse Whipperman, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So enjoy. Hey, Jesse, what's going on? Not too much. So thanks for opening up your house for us and letting us sit down. We're hanging out on your couch and can hopefully talk about some, some good stuff. So I know that uh, you grew up with my wife and her brother and their family uh, living in Adel, Iowa, kind of a small community outside Des Moines. Yeah. Um, but I really don't know much about you at least growing up. I mean, I hear from my wife bits and pieces, but I'd love to know where you came from because I know where you're at now and I, I'm excited to get there, but I'd like to know where you came from, man. Um, so I had shared time between my mom and my dad. They got divorced when I was really young. Um, so my dad lived in Minburn or in the country in Minburn. My mom lived in Adel. And when I was really young, uh, my mom was going through some hard times, and my dad got custody of me and my older sister. So we started living with him out in the country. It was a weird upbringing. Uh, my dad had a fire when I was in first grade. Like a house fire? Uh, yeah. Uh, this was 91, Valentine's Day of 91. His trailer house out on his acreage pretty much burnt down to the ground, uh, nothing left. Well, my dad had been building a garage out there um, and converted it to a house, um, if you wanted to call it that. Um, so for a vast majority of my younger years, I grew up with a uh, wood-burning stove, no indoor plumbing, outhouse. We used a water spigot outside for water carrying everything into the house and uh it was me and my younger brother that uh is my dad and my stepmom's son and my two stepsisters and my older sister all in this like eight nine hundred square foot garage um with tarp walls you yeah. know separating off rooms that's got to be hard i mean you're you're in elementary school when this is happening right? yeah you can't really have birthday parties and have people no. over and things like that, then can you? Yeah. So um, it makes things a little different. Yeah, the only people that really ever came out to my dad's house uh, after the whole ordeal was, you know, the, occasionally my dad's friends, but um, my grandparents, my dad's mom and dad. You know, I've talked to my oldest sister, Emily, about this, and uh, we, we have a feeling that a lot of it had to do with... Uh, my grandparents coming out to check on us to make sure everybody was okay. I mean, they lived uh, here in Des Moines, and they didn't even have an indoor bathroom until probably the early 90s. So Your grandparents? Yeah. They lived on uh, East Fort or right off of East 14th Street um, as you're heading north out of town. So it was... Uh, kind of rural. Yeah, it was rural. So at the time, until the early 90s, it didn't have city plumbing so they just didn't have an indoor indoor bathroom for a long time wow 
And so to them, it was normal the way we were living, even though it wasn't normal. To 99% of everybody else, it was not. Um, Like, no, no indoor plumbing. Like, we had weekly showers at Chester Park, which is you know out at the campgrounds yeah that's 30 um, minutes plus away yeah um and then when my grandparents finally had to build a bathroom onto their house then in later years it was going to their house and showering so how long did you live there for so my dad's house burnt down in 91 um it was probably three or four months while they finished the garage and uh, my freshman year in high school my dad um, had one of those modular houses brought out and set on a basement that he had built with a couple of his friends. Um, and it was sort of a having to have the money. You know, my dad was always a laborer, so it's not like he had a lot of money. He didn't have all the money in the world to save up, raising five kids, and my stepmom always had, you know, a gas station or a Walmart job. So, you know, they just didn't make a lot of money to raise five kids on. Yeah. So not a lot of ways to create a savings account. Right. Work towards something or Um, even probably get a loan. Right. And uh, I I remember a a lot of uh, times growing up, like we didn't really talk about money. It's like something that I never learned about from my parents except that... uh, they didn't really believe in having checkbooks or credit cards, so everything was paid for in cash. In the 90s, that was easy to do. They'd go to the bank every Friday with their paper paycheck, and they'd get cash, and they'd pay all the bills in cash. And, you know, that probably stopped them from being able to get a loan since they really didn't have any credit. Yeah. So, so now you're living there, I mean, for all of elementary school, all of middle school, now you're a freshman in high school and you're finally expanding a little bit. Um, like, did you, did people know? I mean, did did people know that you lived differently than they did? I mean, it was, um, I mean, I think, I think back to my high school experience and that is something that once people would see, you know, kid, kids are great about finding faults in other kids and yeah. treating them differently, right? Um, did that play a part in that at all for you? I was always an outcast in school, always. Um, so I started school in Dallas Center. It was it wasn't until like sixth or seventh grade where people, or I don't know if they really real knew the situation or if uh, I, re- I remember having a discussion with some people about the situation, and they just couldn't like imagine, you know. Having, waking up in the middle of the night in the middle of winter and having to go use an outhouse. Yeah. Um, and, like, it wasn't a, a funny thing to them. They were curious. And it's still not the greatest situation in the world. Um, I know that, uh, especially when my dad finally got his house built, being able to shower every day was a big deal. And... Uh, getting called the stinky kid, not even if you were, but... Because of the perception of it. Because of the perception. um, Wasn't, you know, the greatest feeling in the world. (laughs) I imagine Um, not. And then uh, when I was in high school and finally did have the house, 
Uh, by this point in time, I was going to school in Adel because I had gone and lived with my mom for a few years. And, uh, like, I remember nearly coming to blows in high school with a kid because he called me the stinky kid. And it wasn't uh, because I was actually stinky. It was just him being, he was being a jerk. Yeah. And Well, and, and it's it's funny now because when I met you, in high school, you looked drastically different right. than now, right? <laughs> I'll admit that. Yeah. When I met you, you were you had long hair and you were three hundred plus. Yeah. yeah, probably. You know, I mean, and it's funny because I was thinking about that on the way here, because I think you've told me that you've lost a hundred and forty pounds, right around there. Yeah, I have lost this morning. I've lost ninety nine pounds, so nice. I'm almost at a hundred. Nice. I don't think I'm going to catch you, but. <laughs> The combined weight of our losses is a big dude, right? Right. And so you were a big kid growing up in school. So, yeah. I mean, that plays part in maybe being able to stand your ground a little bit, but also, you know, I was a big kid too. Yeah. It makes you a little whipping post at times. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely singles you out being the, I mean, I was probably the heaviest kid in my class. If if not, there was a close second. I can think of one other person. But, yeah. Um, there was always a, uh, like a, almost a target painted on you at that point when um, you stand out. And then I was very good about doing things to make myself stand out as well. So, you know, and that's, <coughs> that, uh, that relays a lot of, of me too. And I think that when I look back and I reflect on it, I think that it was kind of a coping skill for me. Because if I'm going to stand out because I have this, well, then I'm going to make myself stand out so that at least now I give you something right. to pick on me for, right? I mean, and it, it took me a long time before I really rationalized that yeah. for myself. But, I mean, I think that, and, and working with youth now, I, that's still something that I see happens to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're going to pick on me? All right, well, I'm going to dye my hair. Or I'm going to, you know, do this or I'm going to dress like this. and. It, uh, you know, I think that's a, a normal experience for yeah. maybe kids that don't fit the mold of their location. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, I always had a tendency of playing up what people's perception was of me. Um, when I got really big into music, I listened to Marilyn Manson. You know, I, I, I don't feel like necessarily somebody's musical tastes define who they are but i also played up um that to, that hard image yeah yeah and i i came to find out later on in life that i tended to joke around a lot about really serious situations because of depression issues probably um or mostly but it, it makes me feel better about myself to joke around about serious issues because of myself. Yeah. No, I, 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 at least I understand that. I don't know a way to relay it in a, a better way, yeah. but I, I know where you're coming from. So, so now you're living with your mom. What's your faith like at this time? Like, I mean, so, um, I lived with my mom for my seventh and eighth grade year of middle school. And in 97, um, both my grandma, my, dad's mom and my grandpa my dad's dad passed away in 97 my grandma passed away shortly around uh valentine's day that year 
and my grandpa passed away the day after my grandma's birthday. Because of my grandparents always being such a big part of my younger life, having them come and see me and my siblings out at my dad's house and um, spending so much time with them, it was really hard for me. And I never really, when I was younger, um, the only time we ever went to church was when I was with my grandparents. Yeah. And after they passed away, I remember asking or praying and praying, you know, if you're not going to make them better, just don't let them suffer. And in my eyes, it was a whole lot of suffering for what seemed like an extended period of time. And at some point in time, I realized that I just didn't believe anymore. Like, how can you take such great people and make them suffer for so long? Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with that too you know i think that you know there's a lot of pain and hurt in the in this world you know and and it's hard to sometimes rationalize that with a loving god right right so i went for a long time i would say seven eight years of my life not questioning not believing um and i I was one of those very outspoken people about, you know, why would you believe this if, you know, you don't really have that uh, kind of a God. So now, when you look back at those times, would you have considered yourself atheist or more of the agnostic, nothing's there? Nothing was there. Nothing. Uh, in my head, nothing was there. I remember riding the school bus when I, when I was in high school and... Uh, one of the girls that I went to school with, her dad was a pastor, and her getting off the school bus crying um, because I pretty much flat out told her that there was nothing that she could do to change my mind. Yeah. And that, for lack of better words, if there was a hell, then I'd rather be there anyways. Yeah. And that's... What's funny to me is I have, I can't say I was really an atheist, you know, I just didn't think about it. You know, in my younger days, I didn't really contemplate a God, an afterlife, anything like that. And one of the things that is interesting to me is that I remember a lot of those conversations now with people who did try to lead me to faith, to do these things, and how big of a struggle it must have been to approach somebody like me or you that maybe doesn't fit that Sunday school mold right. and try to breathe some life into us, right? Yeah. Do you still remember those conversations and those people? Very much. See, um, and that's crazy to me because I don't remember, I mean, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I still remember like the places I were and the conversations I had. Exactly. I, I don't have a lot of... Uh uh, second guesses on certain things that I've done in my life. So I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, I don't want to say that I feel bad, but I feel bad saying that I don't feel bad about yeah. certain things that I've done uh, or said to people um, well, when I was having this non-belief large portion of my life. But it was looking back at it now, I feel like it was something that was done out of anger 
towards a God that I didn't understand rather than an actual non-belief of... Yeah, no, I, I, get, I get that. So you're living with your mom, you make it through high school, and what's, what's life like at your mom's compared to your dad's? So like I said, I lived with my mom for my 7th and 8th grade year, and uh, that's when I switched from Dallas Center Schools to Adel Schools. That's when I met Jason. Uh, my wife's brother. Your wife's brother. We were just like best friends, like from the get-go. Um, <laughs> at the end of my eighth grade year, for lack of better words, my mom and dad got into a disagreement over something my mom had done. Uh, my dad pretty much said, well, I still have custody of him. He's going to come back and live with me. Um, so one of the first things that I did was I told my dad that I wasn't going to go back to Dallas Center Schools because when I was younger, it just made me miserable and I didn't want to go back there. So that's how I ended up going, going back or staying in the Adel School District, um, where my dad lives is kind of an open enrollment between Dallas Center or Adel. You can so, choose which one you want. Yeah. Um, so that's why I ended up staying there. Did that put stress in the relationship between you and him? Like, are you, or were you okay with that? Um, no, I, it was... I don't think after the point it was that my dad really cared. I'm not saying that my dad doesn't care. My dad's just a really easygoing guy and really mellow. So it's one of those, he didn't see any reason not to let me do it. Yeah. And so relationship with your mom is good um yeah my i I would be what you call a mama's boy (laughs) (laughs) um and it was a lot of uh you know like my weekends with my mom when i moved back in with my dad was always very you know normal teenage stuff where you're spending all your time with your, your friends but you know, still looking forward to seeing your mom. Right. And then uh, by the time I graduated high school, I, uh, like day one, the day, my last day of school, I had my car packed up with my stuff at my dad's house and I moved in with a friend. He and I made a real good go of it for about two or three months and <laughs> lost the apartment that we were living in. Um, neither of us had jobs at this point in time. It was... That makes it hard to pay rent. It, it was really, uh, I mean, 9-11 happened my senior year in high school. The job market just kind of vanished. Yeah, fell yeah. apart. And uh, he and I were looking out, out there looking for jobs, and we went to workforce and uh, those job hiring things. Temp agencies, Couldn't yeah. find anything. So after he and I moved out of that apartment, I actually moved in with my mom and lived with my mom for about two years before I got my own place. Might have been longer than that. I can't <laughs> For a little while. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably... I, I On the way here, I was trying to think of the first time that I met you. And, and I couldn't. And I think... And it might fast forward a little bit, but I believe it was possibly at your mother's funeral. It might have been. Um, and that was... Six, seven years ago, maybe? Um, she passed away in 2011. Going on six years this July. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I know that in, in talking with my wife, she spoke very highly of your mother. 
right? And, you know, and she, you know, that's one of the reasons why we went there. I went to help support her and her, and mm-hmm. her brother. And, um, you know, she wanted to make sure that, that she showed respect and those things because, yeah. you know, she told me your mom was a great lady, you know. And so, um, um, and, and she just kind of had failing health. Yeah. Right? I mean, just... Um, there isn't a single person that I can say hated my mom. My mom would give you the shirt off of her back and never ask for anything in return. And this is coming from a lady who didn't have much, yeah. right? I mean, she would just do what she could for you. Yeah. That being said, the people, a lot of the people that she did everything for, um, my mom was an alcoholic. Um, she spent almost every single night of my teenage years at a bar. And the people that she would give everything to without a second thought were her bar friends. I mean, her friends nonetheless, but um, people who would ask her for money and never have a thought of paying her back. So then we kind of entered life together and pretty much I see, you know, we see each other a couple times a year, maybe, right? And usually it's, hey, we need to help somebody, you know, we need to help somebody move or hey, there's a celebration, a birthday party, Mm -hmm. different things like that. And from, from my perspective, that's something that's kind of rubbed off on you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I I love the fact that when I see you, you're always willing to help to give what you can. And, you know, I think that that is, you know, if that's a trait that your mother put into you, that's, um, that's a great, that's a great thing, man. I have a hard time telling people no. See? I, I have, I feel guilty if I tell somebody no. I, I would say that, yeah, that's probably <laughs> one of those main features that I got from my mom is, yeah. you know, when you see somebody that can never tell anybody no. You got a big heart, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a nice, it's a good way to put it. You got a big heart. <laughs> yeah. So, so now all of this is happening. How is your faith journey? Like, you mean, you said eight years, you know, roughly you're, you're without faith. So, I mean, that's pushing clear out past high school. Into, um, into your adult life now, right? Yeah. Um, it was about two years after I graduated high school that I really started questioning my faith again. Um, with really, there was no thought about it during this period in my life other than I don't believe in God, rah, rah, rah. Um, the thing that happened was a car accident. You know, sometimes it takes that enormous amount of strain were you um, in a car accident? Yeah. Okay. I, I got into a car accident with my younger sister in the car. I remember the first thing I started thinking about when I got out of the car. As soon as I got out of the car was, please let my sister be all right. Please, God, let my sister be all right. And for somebody who hasn't believed in God for a really long time, the first person you're asking for help <laughs> in your time of trouble it yeah. is a god that you quote unquote don't believe in um it's i don't know pretty leveling uh, it, it, it hit me pretty hard and then that's when i started questioning did anybody get hurt in the accident i walked away unscathed feeling like i got hit by 
another car. <laughs> another car. Um, my my sister did end up being okay. She uh, had some glass pulled out of her arm, and uh, she was in the passenger side, and that's the side of my car that got hit. At the end of the day, everything everybody was perfectly fine. Yeah. So so it opened your eyes possibly that yeah. there may be something in this world to look to. Right. And then it was kind of a, you know, I worked with certain people, and it's not like um, they necessarily had words of wisdom to live by, but one, one person in particular really, uh, did have an enormous amount of faith. Um, everything that life threw at her, she still had an enormous amount of faith. And that's kind of where I ended up, where I didn't really go to church, but I had an enormous amount of faith. And through my work career, um, I ended up working for a guy who, for lack of better words, would be the epitome of Bible thumper. Yeah. And I don't see that in a bad way. No. Um, Just like he lives his life by the Bible, and that's all he does. That's what matters. He doesn't, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. Um, doesn't just caffeine, like yeah, clean living, clean life, yeah, yeah. and uh, amazing guy uh, runs a million miles an hour. Like you can't pay the guy to shut up. <laughs> how does he? How does he work? I mean, while you're there with him, is he uh, is he explaining his faith to you? Yes, um, and it wasn't a. He wasn't hitting you over the head with it, but... Oh, no, it was a jamming down your throat. Oh, it was? Yeah. <laughs> and, and by this time, I'm, I already believed in God. Um, I had taken steps that, you know, this was already a path I was following. I wasn't attending church, but it was conversations that I was having with friends and... Kind of um, that, you know, I, I talked to a handful of people who consider themselves spiritual, right? Yeah. And not within a church community or... Mm-hmm but they just believe that there is a higher power that right. takes care of things. And it's spirituality is one of those uh, weird things for me because I meditate, which is not a Christian thing prayer is per med- se. Prayer is meditation. Um, but that's how I pray. Yeah. And I never realized that that's what I was doing until way later in my life, that um, meditating was my prayer. Working with Doug my ex-boss now um, I've been since 10 years down the road moved to another job you know working for him I worked for him for 4 years and he's an amazing guy what were you you doing? um, what kind of business was it? he runs a uh, landscaping uh, company out of Adel and uh, he had a shop at his house where he uh refurbished headlights of all things there you go and everybody's gonna make a dollar somehow and i worked in his headlight shop for four years okay working for doug i eventually attended church with him i was uh, less than a handful of times more than one or two yeah um and it was just one of those like to me it was just somewhere that i never felt like i fit in i had long hair and tattoos and my ears pierced and it was just not a I didn't never felt welcome in yeah. a church, and it was just one of those like. Well, I remember. I think I've talked about it on here before, but 
you know, I, I felt the same way. And I used to sneak in after the song started. I'd go to a big church. That way I could, nobody yeah. would talk to me. I'd sneak in after the songs and I'd sneak out as soon as the sermon was done. Because, yeah, I didn't, I think I was scared of those relationships. And for me personally, I think I was scared of allowing people to see my faults. Because mm-hmm. I had so many. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and, um, but yeah. And so, I mean, I understand that idea of not feeling like you fit in or that's not the place. You know, you need it, but how do I right. break into this group of people who all have this bond that I don't have? Exactly. So with going to church a handful of times um, and never really feel feeling like I fit in, I went, you know, eight or nine years believing in God, um, getting cross tattoos and Jesus tattoos and Virgin Mary tattoos, but not really understanding it or living into it. Not living into it. Like, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to go to church to be a good Christian, but it helps. (laughs) I mean, I think that I think that I at one time thought that too. And then once I got involved in the community and found that I don't think you have to go to church to believe in Jesus, right? Correct. And there's only one way into heaven, only one way to God, and it's through Jesus, right? And so with that line of thinking, yeah, we can believe in Jesus. But to live that fulfilling Christian life, I believe that you have to be involved in the community. Um, like, do you, I mean, are you we on the same page with that, or do you? I, I believe now yeah. that this is 100% something that you need to do. And that's just through finding myself at church and through finding connections at the church that I go to now, that it is 100% a community. And without having that community, it's not nearly as fulfilling. So what church um, are you going to now? I go to Cornerstone Family Church. Okay. In Des Moines? Um, out past Valley Junction. Yep, I think that's, that's still Des Moines proper. Okay. So. It's an odd story how I ended up there. I went, I had a girlfriend who her family had almost always attended this church. Yeah. She drugged me along one Sunday, sort of willing, sort of unwilling, and I sat there feeling like I was just completely being singled out when uh, the pastor made his altar call for people to accept Jesus. And I'll just turn around and look at you. And I just, like, I'm sitting there like, I already believe in God, and I've already accepted Jesus, so... What what do I need to do this for? Yeah, and I left church that day, feeling like put on, like I was put on the spot. Um, but me being the type of person I am, I kind of just like, well, I'm not going to do this because I'm being told to do this. Yeah, um, and it really did. It was something where I didn't have to be ready for it. I just had to be ready for it when God told me, hey, you're doing well, this. And that's just it, you know. I mean, if, if, if you're going to church and you're learning about God, you're learning about your faith, you're learning about these things, and you are not ready to accept Jesus, then you shouldn't go to the altar call, right? Exactly. Like, nobody can tell you when it's that time, but the Holy Spirit. Exactly. 
So um, I think the way you did is good, man. I do. I like it. Um, and it, it it hits on my bit of a rebel nature where I just don't like listening to authority. But what happened is like six months later, me and said girlfriend broke up. I can say had had a girlfriend who went to this church was kind of the key. Um, and uh, she had always talked to me about wanting to start going to church on a regular basis and wanting me to go with her. And through our breakup, one of the big things was that I or we never went to church together. Not that she was going to church either, but through our breakup, we talked about going together, not fixing our relationship just as friends and, you know, seeing what happened. And I asked her about it a couple times and never got any responses or never got any responses like, yeah, hey, let's do this. And one Sunday morning I woke up. Um, I had my three kids with me. I had been up till two thirty, three o'clock the night before because I was working in a bar at the time. I really didn't usually wake up that at, you know, eight eight thirty in the morning. And I'm like, I'm going to make my kids pancakes today. Which is, usually it's like throw some donuts and have at it. Yeah. And then after pancakes, it was like, we're going to church today. Um, Just on... What did the kids say? They didn't really like the idea of it, but it was one of those like, we just want to stay home and play video games. Yeah. And through not knowing where to go, the church that I ended up with was, uh, ended up at that day was Cornerstone. Well, Cornerstone has family day on... The last Sunday of every month. What is fam- what is family day? Family day is the day where none of the kids they like, go to Sunday school. The, none of the kids' services okay. are open. So you got three kids and you new to a church sitting there, sitting in s- service on Sunday on a family day. Now how old are the kids now? Um, at the time, they were uh, Layla would have been four, uh, Jackson would have been six, and Lincoln would have been eight. Man. And, uh. That's a handful. Yeah. And we come to the end of service, and, uh, Pastor Dan did an altar call, and it hit me. Like. Like it was supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with my three kids in tow, I walked up to do this altar call because I just didn't want to leave my kids sitting there, um, in seats by themselves. Can I ask the old lady behind you? you Want to watch a couple kids? I'm going to go up and talk to that guy. Um, So I uh, got an altar call with three kids in tow and went up there, and that's that's where it starts. Yeah, Yeah. Um, and it was. I've had a lot of discussions with people uh, since um, the two years that I've been going to this church, and. It was just a little over two weeks ago that I got baptized. And uh, again, it was one of those situations where I had all three of my kids with me. And they were doing baptisms already. And Pastor Dan was like, if anybody wants to get baptized today, I don't care if your name's on the list or not, get up here. And I just like, I had been planning on getting baptized for the two years that I've been attending this church and I just 
I wanted everything to be perfect, and I wanted to plan all this stuff out. Yeah. And um, it just never happened that way. Where it never, nothing ever came together, and all of a sudden it was like, I guess I'm getting baptized today. And I got up from my seat, and my kids are being a little bit older at this point. I just kind of like throw my cell phone down because I, I knew my clothes were going to be wet at this point. And uh, I told them I'd be right back. And in less than five minutes, I'm baptized. Baptized. Completely soaked, walking back to my seat. And my kids are like, Why are y'all wet? And I'm just like, it's Still in the middle of service. I'm like, I'll explain later. Yeah. Um, but having a conversation with uh, one of the gentlemen that works and attends Cornerstone afterwards, he goes, you know, God has just found out how to work through you, and it's got to be not necessarily forcing me into something, but like giving you, I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to do this. Yeah, I mean, um, giving you those little nudges that you need. One, one of those, uh, this is a uh, Last minute, spur of the moment, this is what you're going to do today. That's generally how I work in my normal life anyways, where it's just like a, I decide to do something on spur of the moment. God, knowing how to work through me, you know, that's how he decided to tell me that these are the things that I need to do at the times that I need to do them. And there's been certain things in my walk with Christ for the past two years that, you know, kind of point this out to me along the way. Um, I started playing bass for the hype band, which is the youth service at the church I go to. David, he's the youth band director. director. Um, He plays guitar and he's, I would guess you call the lead singer. Stopped me in the hall one day and he goes... Hey, you play bass, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you want to play bass for the hype band? And I'm like, what's the hype band? (laughs) (laughs) You know, through him and I talking, you know, I found out that it was, it's like the 13 to 18 year old service where, um, you know, really the high school age kids who they're, you know, trying to keep engaged, engaged. Um, and keep this faith rolling in them because, you know, that's a really difficult age. The weird, funny, odd part about it is God sending David to me to do this. It, he is my ex-girlfriend's brother-in-law. He is married to my ex-girlfriend's sister. Funny how it all works, right? Yeah. <laughs> so does she go there now? No. But you still see your family on a regular basis? Yes. Um, and that's, uh, she knows that I go there. Yeah. Um, she knows that I'm very much involved. You know, I've never gone thinking that her and I would ever work things out. Yeah. Never gone thinking that, you know, maybe I'll see her today. It's always been, uh, for me to show how much I appreciate and love God. You know, and, and I think that... God puts people in our life sometimes when we need him, right? Exactly. And that might have just been um, something that God showed his way through. I fully believe that. Um, I actually have had somebody in my life tell me that uh, they believe in like a multiple soulmate 
type deal, where it's not necessarily <laughs> the one person for you, but it's a person that helps you on to your next oh, step I, in life. So not so much like a love and marry soul, right. but those people that you're supposed to connect with. Yeah, I can. I can never heard it laid out like that, but I can. I can believe that. Um, so, for for lack of better words, um, she was my next stepping stone on my journey through life. Yeah, not to and step on, but to guide you to yeah. the next place. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just a funny how my journey through this church has gone because if I hadn't met David, I don't know. I mean. Three months into my, uh, no, it was probably two months, and um, because there's a, you have to belong to the church for two months before you're able to do any of the choir or band okay. or any of the service leading type yeah. roles, and I like barely squeaked past this <laughs> this timeline. I uh, really don't know. Like, I hate to say that I wouldn't be there. No, I know what you mean, but, but I just I just don't know. Like, uh, for a long time, we were playing every Sunday morning except for family days, and whether or not I had my kids in tow, I was at church at eight thirty in the morning for band practice until you know twelve, twelve, twelve thirty, almost every single Sunday for over a year through uh, what we were talking about earlier, where not necessarily. Um, obligation or feeling guilty but how my mom handed me a big heart where I have to do things for people I always felt like it was not where I I wanted to be there but it's also where I needed to be and it wasn't necessarily always me needing to be there it was me needing to be there for somebody else and to not let somebody else down well yeah and I think you know, sometimes I deal with that yeah, kind of sense of responsibility. Yeah. You know, and I think that anybody in ministry has to sometimes live into that sense of responsibility yeah. because, you know, there's times where you just get wore out, you know. And, I mean, I don't know. I think that you're probably hard-pressed to corner your pastor and say, hey, do you ever get tired of preaching to me? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I would anticipate that it is sometimes a... You know, all ministry is draining and yet rewarding at the same time. Yeah. But there's times I think you probably just want to stop for a minute, right? And but that those people around you really keep pushing you forward and moving. And I know one of the things that I found was that once I got more involved in different ministry opportunities, it it straightened my life up. I mean, you know, I mean, I think that. Anybody who says, hey, I'm a person of faith and I have it all together is probably lying to you. But it made me want to have a better lifestyle because I knew that people seen me. I don't want to say looked up to me, but I wanted to be a good example to them. Right. Um, I, and uh, especially working with uh, youth, this is a big big deal not necessarily saying it's as bad i guess for um the age group that i'm around but kids tend to do what they see and they think that it's all right because they see somebody else doing it and teenagers are really impressionable if they think it's all right to uh go do drugs they're gonna go do drugs 
Yeah. And uh, that's why you have one kid who goes out with a bad crowd end up being a bad, one of those other bad kids. Yeah. I mean, you you know, even as an adult, though, man, you are a, you're a product of your peers. One hundred. And and that's that's something that I noticed when when I wanted to become a more established adult, right? I surrounded myself with other people who owned businesses and other people who were way more successful than I still am. Right. But, you know, they, for whatever reason, they let me in. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and you know, it's got to be, you know, I, you know, I think a lot of stuff revolves around God opening doors for me. But, you know, there's no reason why these men who are established business owners and, and upstanding community people would want some 20-year-old punk <laughs> kid that doesn't have anything to offer to this group, you know, socially. Right. Why are you letting me in, you know? And I can't thank them enough, all those people who have been building me up as as I've grown to, to be good, you know I mean? And surround yourself with the people who you want to be. Right. And uh, David, I would definitely say he's one of my closest friends now. Um, he and I spend time with each other outside of church. Yeah. He's definitely a building block in my faith because he and I might not always see eye to eye on our religious views, but it's very close. He and I have gotten into very deep talks and lost track of time and you know next thing you know we're both like i should have taken off an hour ago um but yet you still don't want to stop right yeah i know exactly um i just i thank god every day that he came into my life and it's not like i hadn't met him before yeah it was just you've never met him this way before right it was the i needed to meet him in the community of Christ rather than as my girlfriend's brother-in-law. Yeah. So now, what is your interaction with youth? I mean, you're playing You're playing in the band. Do you, Are you assisting in like so, mentorship or anything like that with them? <laughs> this is where I, uh, even I know that I run into a problem and I catch myself. I have a tendency to kind of stick back and... I try to uh, relate to youths of our day, but we kind of have a different outlook on music and different outlook on life in general. So I actually, so right now what we do is we have a Sunday night. Instead of playing every Sunday, we do play on for like two hours on Sunday night. And, you know, there, we'll play a couple songs and then we'll have some downtime where the pastor talks and I'll do some games, and then we'll play again. You know, and we do this for about two, two and a half hours on uh, one Sunday night instead of playing every Sunday morning. And I catch myself kind of sitting away from the crowd and just kind of waiting to play. I always have to tell myself that I need to engage with these kids because, you know, that's what I'm there for. I'm not just there to play music on stage. Yeah. Well, man, I would challenge you to engage with them because they're in working with high school. You know, now the kids that I've that I worked with, 
some of them are graduated college now, or a lot of them have graduated college yeah. now. You know, some of them are still in college, and it is amazing to see. You know, because of the joys of social media, right? I can see what these kids are. They're young adults now. I can see what they're doing, and it's amazing to still see their growth. And it's funny because I think I think some of them listen to the show, <laughs> um, and so if you are, be nice to me. But just I don't I don't ever want to be that old guy who pesters them. You know what right. I mean? Like. I was with them for this time, and I hope that I was able to instill something in them. Um, and I hope that some of that growth that they have, I can, you know, when I get up to to, right. to heaven, I can be like, "You did it," you know, right. and and we can high five and call it cool. But uh, you know, that that is a huge joy. I mean, other than other than your own children, those those kids meant the world to me. You know, and, and I mean, I I don't know that I'd ever told any of them that, <laughs> you know, but, you know, they it's it's amazing. And But on this flip side of it, some of them have drifted away. And, you know, I, it's not always my place to call you up six years after you've been in my youth group and holler at you. But, you know, it's it's sad and, and hurts sometimes to see when you poured all that into somebody and they didn't, but I think that the joy far outweighs the bad, man. And I say get involved, go do what you can, and, and you'll find a niche. I remember my my very first day, I, I said, all right, I'll do this. I had no clue what I was signing up for. And they there was a maybe six adult, they called them sponsors, um, six of us who were, you know, we would take small groups of kids and we would break up into smaller groups and I remember they they told me I didn't even know what happened they told me all right don't feel bad you're new none of the kids will want to be in your group and I'm like great so I'm going to show up and I'm going to get the kids who just had to get stuck with me and they lined all the adults up on stage asked them questions and then said all right kids find your group and I'm like oh nobody's going to come to me and you know what I had a full group of kids like Immediately, And I was like, this is really nice. And then, you know, I had a, I think that there's a, every personality, there are kids that are going to want to be with you, you know? And, and so for anybody else who really thinks about getting involved in it, you know what? There's the, there's the mom who's really loving and compassionate and wants to know how your family's doing and, and, you know, all these touchy feely things that I'm sometimes not good at, or there's the, the fun guy who wants to play games and joke and you know which there's a great place for any of those things you know and i always laugh because i just wanted to talk about god you know my group was sometimes a little more serious and you know i didn't always i mean i i tried to have a good time but like i shared a lot of my life stories i mean to to some extent you know i mean there were things that weren't appropriate but i treated those kids a lot more like i would sometimes appear than I would a kid. And right. I think that they had, I hope that they had a really deep respect for that because I never wanted them to think that I was above them. Maybe that I was a little farther on my walk and I could as- assist right. them. And so I always tried to relate things to my life because I've had a lot of experiences. And I mean, kind of the same for you. 
I think that you could really breathe into these kids and give them a, a perspective that maybe somebody else, I mean, people who don't come from a church background or people who have maybe lived a life that isn't so glorifying to God at one time, we have a whole lot to offer to the community, man. Right. You know, I mean, and, and you know what? Some people aren't going to like it. Some people might not like you. That's their problem. You know, because if you can if you can get out there and you can change the life of somebody else, there's there's nothing better. Yeah. Um, mine is, I feel like I really connect with uh, the youth that actually play in the band. There's uh, three or four singers that I've really connected with and the keyboard player. Um, she's actually moving on to college next year, so she's going to be leaving soon. And I feel like I've really connected with them on a personal level because of this. Because of the music side. Because of, of the music side of things. It's just, it's really hard for me to take that step towards the rest towards of Towards the whole group. Yeah. Um, and I've been, I mean, some of these kids I've seen every single Sunday for the past two years. Sometimes I, I feel like, especially the ones that have grown up, like their parents have been bringing them to church for forever at the at Cornerstone, where I feel like they're just even farther along than I am in my journey with God. So maybe I, I feel like almost I need to approach them as the child and them be the more experienced. Yeah, you know, and and I, I would be lying if I said I didn't learn something from. The kids that I mean, some of the kids I didn't learn a thing from. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were just there because somebody made them show up. Right. But those kids who really lived it out, I mean, I learned from them too. But I think that when when those kids get on their own, they're not going to be in that kind of sheltered community. You know, I mean, I, I hate calling it a sheltered community, but it's it's some. You know, most churches have a a protection around their kids, right? Well, when you go off to college, you're going to find all sorts of people. And you know what? Yeah. Just because the guy has tattoos, the guy has you know, a beer on the weekends, just because he doesn't fit that mold that maybe your mom and dad told you that the church, the good church guy was, doesn't mean that he's bad. Right. You know, I mean, it means maybe we got some work to do. Yeah, we all got work to do. I got work to do. You got work to do. Yeah. Somebody tells you they don't. I don't know. And, and that's uh, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. That uh, no matter how far you are in your walk with God, that you always have work to do. Yeah. There's nobody out there that's perfect, and there's nobody out there that will ever be perfect. Yeah. Um. And I'll be the first person to admit I'm not perfect. Um. I feel like I'm hiding in the bushes when I go out to have a cigarette uh, when I'm at church. Yeah. Um, you know, because I don't want these kids that I'm ministering to to see that I smoke. Well, then quit. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I actually had a very nice lady at church tell me that she'd be praying for me to help me quit because, you know, like like every smoker... I'm always trying to quit. Yeah. Just give her a high five until you need all the prayer you can get. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think that's that's great, man. I, I'm so excited to, to see you in this place. I mean, because I, in, the, in our past interactions, we never discussed faith. Right. I don't know if you knew where I was. I didn't know where you were. The next thing we were 
moving my brother-in-law and I hitched a ride in your car and somehow we got talking I think we were talking about relationships yeah and and I was kind of telling you how faith plays a role in mine and you're like oh yeah I go to church I play in a band and I was like what (laughs) (laughs) so I was I was super excited to hear it man and so I just I hope that your walk stays positive and that you you know just get everything out of it that you can and you know it's a a great place to be don't you think yeah um how's your uh, earlier like uh, let's see how long ago like 38 minutes ago you were talking about maybe having like some depression stuff has has your faith changed your mindset in ways like has it helped you like because i i know that mine has has moved mine a little bit like i'm a lot more positive i'm a lot less tempered I uh, I I have a love hate relationship with my depression. Um, I don't take medication for it. Um, it makes me feel like a zombie. So um, I've been on three different medications for it and have always stopped taking them just because I always feel dead. Yeah. Um, like no emotions at all. Um, the weird thing about my depression is. Artistic-wise, when I'm really depressed, I'm more artistic. And that helps with my painting, and that helps with my writing, certain aspects of my writing. Well, because, so my wife brought me home a book, and she told me you were writing your second book now. Um, Is it, and it's fiction, right? Yeah, it's uh, actually my third book. You're on your third book now. So I've got my the book that your wife brought home that was my first book and it's a comedy so that fits my normal personality where I'm not depressed yeah um and my second book which is not in that series is uh really dark um and you know there's like method actors well I'm a method writer um and I was writing this this second book it's a short book short short book but um i was writing the second book while i was going through about a depression um and it's not like i was depressed every day and i did actually end up having a hard time finishing it because i'd gotten out of my slump um but it's to me it's uh i write how i feel and um you know my even my comedy writing goes back to my uh, poking fun at myself or up playing certain things about myself, um, you know, to make a big joke out of things. Yeah. Um, it's the reason why I have a big tattoo that says fat kid on my side because it's, I, I used to be overweight and I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so, so. Well, you're on here. People have been listening for a little while. So if somebody is interested in your book, how do they find it? Okay, so my book is called Gits and the Curators of Time. Like G-E-T-S. It's uh, G-I-T-Z. G- All right. Gits. It's uh, the sound um, electricity mix if you get electrocuted. It's like a Gits sound. Yeah, I've, I've been shocked <laughs> a handful of times. Um, and uh, there's a website for the book called The Curators of Time. There's a Facebook page um, for the series that I'm writing called The Nine Lives Saga. 
Huh. And it's... See, I didn't know you had all that either. I just... My wife brought home a book and said, Jesse wrote this. Um, yeah, it's a science fiction comedy about time travel and cats. Well, if somebody likes time travel and cats, it's probably the, the book for them, right? Yeah. So that's awesome, man. And, you know, it's... So there's good things and bad things that come out of it. And, yeah. you know, and that's something, you know, I've had... I remember I was driving home one day. I had the wife with me, and my heart was racing, and I like I just felt bad, you know. And I started to explain to her what was going on, and she's like, "You have an anxiety attack," and I was like, "I don't have anxiety, you know." And I'm like, and and she was right, and it turned out. And as I as I started to work through my anxiety, like it was it was manageable. Like when I would know it would happen, you know, like I would wear uh, one of those little Fitbits that monitor your pulse. Okay. And my heart would be racing. I mean, you know, just astronomically. And it was funny because I'd be working in somebody's house and I'd have an anxiety attack about something that, you know, not everything goes right all the time. But you always want the customer to think, no problem. We got this handled, yeah. right? And they'd be like, you just stay so calm. And I was, all I could ever think was, man, if you've seen what was going on inside of me right now. Right. Like, and and so I, I was able to somewhat manage it and then probably a year ago it just it it got out of control and and I I would know they would come on and I couldn't talk myself out of it you know and I always I always told myself you know anxiety is the me manifesting the worst thing that could possibly happen like this is me making this and most of the time I could talk myself out of it when I realized so you're just making this up in your head like you'll be fine get through this it's not going to be as bad as what you're thinking right and I couldn't do it anymore and then uh, uh, I started to notice that I had these mood swings up and down and, and it, I if I I never got went to the doctor but I would anticipate that it was depression too and in well, kind of back earlier too, in my weight loss journey, I've changed my diet drastically. And one of the things that helped with that was I have not had anxiety since then. And like, I really don't feel that I've had depression since then either. And it's been amazing to me how, you know, whatever has happened has happened. And, and it was like a switch where it got turned off. Um, and yeah, I mean, and so I think that, that anything that, you know, if it becomes unmanageable, let me know, I'll give you yeah. some, I'll give you some dietary advice, but I'm not a um, dietitian. All right. Don't, th- don't there's, there's one time I've ever had a panic attack and I woke up in the middle of this. Um, and you know that I've worked multiple jobs for since my divorce yeah um and i got off my main job one day and i was taking a nap and it wasn't even i had to work that night it wasn't that i had slept all night long and woke up um but it's always uh when i go to sleep there almost always has to be an alarm because i'm always waking up to go to work or you know, needing to go to work or... Always know. always racing somewhere and sleep, yeah. sleeping in your recreational time. Um, yeah. So one day when I was free, I took a nap and I woke up panicking. Uh, my heart's racing. I can't breathe. 
Because you thought you'd be because somewhere. I thought I needed to be somewhere and I didn't. Um, and my mom always had anxiety attacks, and they said hers was due to because of her depression. She would have panic attacks because of her depression. I'm sure that mine probably stems from this a little bit, but I tend to manage my depression fairly well. I would say I have anger problems more than depression problems, and I have a good tendency to bottle things up instead of voicing my opinion. A lot of the times, I just hold hold back until it explodes. It explodes. Yeah. The first time I was told about, uh, I, I talked to a doctor about depression. They told me it was because of stress, which is you know bottling bottling up all my emotions. Yeah, and, but. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, the way I was raised, where it was just like, I'm, I'm telling you to do this, you're going to do it, period. Um, there was no no, there was no yes, there was, you're being told to do it, go do it. Yeah. Part of the nature versus nurture thing, where um, part of it is, I believe, hereditary, where there's another part of it where it, I cause it myself because of the way I was raised. Yeah. I think that... I know that we both sat here and talked about, you know, our our struggles with, you know, our minds. But yeah. uh, I always did try to find some sort of comfort biblically about it too, though, you know, and and in prayer, meditation, or whatever your your connection is, you know, because God tells us not to worry, right? right. I mean, yeah, I wish I could do everything that God told me not to do because yeah. my life would be so much better. But you know. He he tells us not to worry, not not to fret, and and, and that's uh, you know when I'm particularly stressed out, I meditate. But the weird thing is, is the only thing that I never worry about um, is God. Like I can stick my fingers in it and try to direct my life the way I want it to go in my walk yeah. with God. But in the end of the day. It's going to end up the way he wants it to, yeah, regardless he, of what I do. You can't change it. Um, so, you know, I've had conversations with people where I don't question God. I just go about my normal everyday life and, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to um, do what I know that I need to be doing and, you know, go to church on Sundays and be involved where I need to be involved or where I feel I need to be involved. One way or another, God will know, let me know if this is what I need to do or not. Yeah. Well, and, and it sounds like that you have been very open to the nudgings that God has given yeah. you uh, in getting involved in things and committing your life and, and doing all of that. And I mean, I just, I encourage you just to keep listening, man. And, and it sounds like that you're tuned in and, and ready to go. So. I think the sky's the limit on on what God can do with people in hearing your story, right? And knowing where you came from. I'm sitting in a house that you own yeah. after you just got off of a job that you've had for a long time that you make a good living at. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like from sometimes I do that too. I look back at where where we came from and where we are now and I have no clue how Things got as good as they got. Right. Nothing's perfect. But you know what? Life's pretty good. You know? And that's uh, the way I've always looked at it is uh, not like I'm trying to one-up my parents, but 
I always want to give my kids a better living than I had growing up. I think that's every parent's dream, man. Um, I hope my kids can do better than me. I, I really want my kids to do even better than me. Um, I hope that, especially with my walk in life, that uh, they see me going to church and they spend time in the church, regardless of whether or not I'm dragging them to church on Sunday mornings sometimes. I hope that they take into account, um, because at the end of the day, I want them to have a choice. I don't, I don't want to force them into uh, a relationship with God. I don't think either one of us were... I definitely wasn't forced. That was something no. that I came to. You well, know what I mean? And, and, and I think that's that, uh, how I, w- I was as well. Um, the only, I almost feel um, on the weekends when I have my kids, when I go to church, I feel like I'm forcing my kids to go to church because they're, they're still, not, they're, they're still not really into it. Yeah, they're, um, my daughter, <laughs> she loves going. Jackson, my eight year old now, he, likes actually sitting in service with me. And I don't think that's because he gets anything out of the service per se. He just, it's kind of like a special time with him you, and I. Yeah. But I don't want to feel like they're forced to be there either. Yeah. Even though I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to church today. You know, <laughs> I think that you'd be surprised on what kids can pick up from an adult sermon even. Yeah. It was, it was kind of funny because the other day, my wife and my youngest went to a mother-son dance for his birthday. Okay. And so I told the oldest, he's five, I told him that uh, I would take him fishing because he he loves to go fishing. And so I was like, real quick, though, we got to go do a job because I was running a little bit behind. I had to go, (laughs) you know, so why not bring your kids to a construction site? And so uh, I packed him up and, you know, we're driving around and I'm flipping through the, the stations on the radio trying to find something he wants to listen to. And next thing, he's like, stop, I want to listen to that. And it was a sermon that okay. was on there. And I didn't think it would hold his attention for 20 seconds. Right. And I was like, all right, buddy, you want me to find a song? No, I'm listening to this. And it was, I don't even know who it was or what station it was. And it was it was some old-timey <laughs> fire brimstone preacher yeah. who uh, was talking about you know getting wisdom from the Lord and how... We, you know, we as men look for wisdom in books and then this and then that. But the wisdom we need to seek is in the Lord. And uh, he, we we're doing some stuff a couple hours later. And he's like, Dad, I think I want some wisdom. And I was like, where do you get it, kid? And he's like, you get it from the Lord. And I was like, you do. <laughs> you know, and for him to remember that even for two hours later and you know, I mean, we maybe listened to it for five minutes. Right. You know, but but he soaked it in and he listened. And I was amazed that he retained any of it. Yeah. So. And mine is I, uh, in, pre- in preparation for the songs that I'm playing for said week, I'll be listening to the songs in the car. And my kids actually enjoy listening to the songs that I'm playing at church. They like being in the auditorium when I'm playing. My daughter, a year and a half later... Um, I played with the hype band for the main service to, for the Christmas show one year. Yeah. And uh, my daughter still likes listening to the songs that uh, we played for uh, the Christmas sermon that year. Yeah. Um, so I know that, uh, yeah, part of them is getting something out of it. Um, I'm I sure just, they're proud of you, too. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's something in there. Um, I just... 
don't ever want to make them feel like I'm forcing this upon them. Yeah. I hope that my kids don't feel it forced upon them, but I do hope that I plant the seeds right. for them to grow. And, and I do, do do that as well. You know, because they, they in my eyes, they should. Um, you should start young. But, you know, I came to it eventually in my own walk. That doesn't mean they will. Um, but with them seeing me going to church every Sunday, I'm hoping that they come to it on their own, even if they're not with me and they're with their mother and they decide that they want to start going to church on Sundays. Yeah. The idea that your kids starting young, and I know I've talked to some non-Christians, you know, know, oh, well, you you know, you shouldn't be forcing your young kids to, to go and attend. Well, the thing is, in this in this crazy world that we live in, you're going to tell me that it is not nice that I take my kid to a place where they teach them to love everybody, right? And to be kind and to be honest, and you know, teach these strong, good values, right. and surround them with people of like mind who realize that they are faulted, but yet desire to have these values. And, I mean, I don't think that there's there's a negative there. No, and I don't I don't I don't ever see it uh as a negative when I yeah. I say drag. Yeah, um, no, I don't. drag my kids. To, you know, we go to, um, we go to the early service and so oh, the I, kids are like, "Oh, I don't want to go. I want, yeah. you know, I, they want to watch cartoons or something." Yeah. And they're like, "No, get your clothes on." But um, once they get there, mind at least once I get them there, they like it. So, and then it, it's just uh you know, like you said, it's it's a good place for them to be, regardless of a message yeah. about Jesus or God. It's a good place for them to learn uh, good social skills. Social skills. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the people who, um, let's say, would criticize us taking our kids to uh, church or forcing our kids to go to church or however you want to put it, have outlooks on life that, you know... Our kids are learning that they never had the ability to learn. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree a whole lot with that. So, I think that I think that what you're doing is really good, man. I really do. So, well, I suppose we should shut this thing down and get out of here, and I'll let you have your evening back, <laughs> and you can do do whatever you do. So, all right, man. Well, I, I really appreciate your candidness and honesty and hanging out and just getting to know you better i mean it's it's exciting to me that you've been in my life in and out for so long but i, I still felt like i didn't yeah. know anything so thanks so much for being yeah. here and talking with me not a problem at all all right man thank you well i hope you enjoyed the show couple quick things for us to keep in mind the facebook page has been growing quite a bit so one of the things i'd really like to do is if uh, you need prayer if you need somebody to talk to please use that as a safe place to come and uh, engage with other people you can find that at uh, the god watch podcast on facebook you can also visit our website at godwatchlive.com and also on twitter now as god watch live so have a great week and be blessed